You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I thank you so much for uh, giving us your word, which we know is active and living. It's powerful. Um, But we desperately need your Holy Spirit to use this uh, to make it alive in our hearts. And so I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would move through our time together. I know that we all come in here maybe in different ways. Some uh, glad, excited about the week, celebrating maybe even this past week. Others come in anxious, depressed, distracted, bored, very unexpecting of anything actually powerful to happen other than maybe just a a man to get up and and talk for a while. Um, I just pray, Holy Spirit, you would surprise each of us with your presence and that you would meet us where we are and minister to each need for our good and for your glory. It's a cross that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to start this morning by sharing three true stories. The first one is about a guy named Dutch Sheets who wrote a book on prayer. And in his book, he tells a story about this lady in his church who would plead with him to go visit her sister who was in the hospital. And after some time of her saying, please go pray for my sister, please pray for my sister, eventually the pastor's like, okay, I'll go pray for your sister. So he goes into the hospital and he finds out this woman is in a coma. She'd been in a coma for actually uh, I think about a year at this point, she had uh, a breathing tube down her throat. She had a feeding tube in her stomach. The doctor said uh, that there was no medical reason to believe she would ever wake up from a coma. And if she did, she would be a vegetable for the rest of her life. So really, they were just waiting on the family to say, okay, you have our permission to pull the plug. Despite this, the man decides to actually pray over this woman who most likely can't even hear what he is saying. And while he is praying for her, he's moved to such compassion that he quietly makes a decision and secretly to go back up to this hospital room uh, once a week for a full year to pray over her. Finally, after a whole year or after 52 different weeks of praying for this woman for an hour each week, she wakes up and there is no brain damage whatsoever. Uh, the uh, city newspaper uh, actually did a front, pra- a front page article on this woman that was entitled Woman Awake, Alive, and Healthy After Two Years of Being in a Coma. The doctors who cared for her were quoted in the article as calling it, quote, a medical miracle saying we have no explanation for what has happened. Here's the next story. There's a woman named Monica who is a single mom with one son. She herself grew up as a devout believer, and every single night she would sing hymns and pray over her baby. Despite this, this baby would eventually grow up and be very different than his mom. He actually uh, was known in the city as being a drunkard and a womanizer. Um, He was very intellectual, became a professor of philosophy, and he would use his intellect to combat the faith that his mom still carried that he actually despised. 
Still, his mom continued to pray for her son. She did not give up. And whenever he was 19 years of age, she had a dream where God said to her, I hear your prayers and I will respond to those prayers. Nine years passed from that dream. Nothing is happening, no change, but she continues to pray with more and more intensity. And eventually, nine years from the dream, uh, her son finds himself in a garden on an otherwise ordinary day. He comes across the Bible, he reads the scripture, and he comes to faith in Christ and Christ alone. His name is St. Augustine, and he is arguably the most famous theologian in the history of the Christian faith. Here's one more story. In Yongsong uh, Presbyterian Church in Seoul, Korea, uh, it was a church that was actually started as a, uh, with really kind of just this, this prayer meeting that would meet each morning. Um, about 40 people originally showed up. And today, if you go to the same prayer meeting that's already just 40 people, right now, today in Seoul, Korea, there are 12,000 people that meet there every single morning for prayer. The prayer meeting is so large, they've had to divide it up into three different meetings. So there was a 4 a.m., think about this daily, 4 a.m. prayer meeting, 5 a.m. prayer meeting, and 6 a.m. prayer meeting. So yes, that means if you come to the 6 a.m. prayer meeting, you're the latecomer. And there are so many people that show up at these meetings, they have to lock the church doors because it's standing room only at every single meeting. So if you show up at 4.01 a.m. to the 4 a.m. prayer meeting, that means you're going to be standing out in the cold dark for an hour waiting for the next prayer meeting. And again, just in order to pray. Now, the reason I share these stories is to say this. Prayer is a compelling wonder. I mean, to believe that there really is a God that is both powerful enough to create you and yet personal enough to have a beck and call conversation with you, a conversation that doesn't just change you, but also has the potential to change the world around you. I mean, let's be honest, that almost seems too good to be true. And yet, as Walter Wink points out, he says, read scripture and you will find out the message is clear. History belongs to the intercessors. You know, we believe the world is changed by the movers and the shakers of society, by those who are rich and famous and powerful and charismatic and and talented. But according to the Bible, God actually has a different perspective. According to the scriptures, history belongs actually to the 80-year-old grandma who is praying right now that nobody knows about. History belongs to the woman who actually gets up just a little bit earlier or the man who quietly continues to spend more time praying than he does complaining. These are the one whom God uses to bend reality and shape the course of human history. And so prayer really is a compelling wonder, but it is also a confounding mystery. Because my guess is, though half of the room in here was somewhat inspired by the three stories that I shared, the other half was either bored by them, possibly even confused, or even angered by them. I mean, that's great that a comatose woman was healed, but why some and not others? Or, you know, I mean, that's great. If we want to celebrate divine action, go for it. But can someone please explain to me divine silence? Or I'm happy for Augustine and his mom, but what took God so long? I mean, why wait decades to answer a good prayer like the salvation of your child? Is it that God is just unmotivated most of the time and she just so happened to catch him at the right moment? Or I guess that's good for the Koreans that they're waking up early and and they're doing all that praying before the sun rises. But can you actually point to me any real metric that shows that there's anything that's happening as a result of those prayers? And you see, what's really behind all these questions is a real question that all of us either have asked or will ask. And here's the question. Do my prayers matter? Like, does anything actually happen 
that wouldn't have happened because I prayed? And is there anything that doesn't happen that would have happened if I don't pray? The famed novelist Kurt Vonnegut offered his opinion. He said this, I don't think it's at all likely that God requires the ill-informed and contradictory advice of us humans as to how to run the world. If he is all wise, as you say he is, doesn't he already know what is best? And if he is all good, won't he do it whether we pray or not? And so for most of us in the room today, I'm guessing we can relate. We're, like, we're, we're kind of a mixed bag when it comes to prayer. History belongs to the intercessors. Yes and amen. But then we actually begin to pray. And all the confidence and the inspiration that maybe we felt from a sermon on prayer is drowned out by a flood of questions, doubt, and past disappointment. And therefore, my guess is today for most of us in here, you continue to pray, but your prayers are so safe and so passive and so vague that you wouldn't know if God answered your prayers or not. In fact, just as a thought experiment, think about everything you prayed for this past week. If God miraculously answered all of those prayers, how would your life have been different? How would this church have been different? How would this city be different? How would our world be different? What would have happened as a result of your prayers this past week? My guess is very little. And that is because there is this place in between wonder and mystery that often paralyzes us in our prayer life. Jesus' disciples come to him and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. That's the title really for our series. And in response to this request, the only request we really see them recorded in Scripture they make to Jesus, he responds by just simply praying. And so if you look back with me in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, he says, This then is how you should pray, Our Father in heaven. Beautiful. We love that one. One Father overall, that's great. Hallowed be your name. Ah, not a big fan of that one. Kind of makes God seem to be like a little bit of a narcissist, but I guess it's okay since he said he's a loving Father, we'll go with it. Your kingdom come, your will, be done, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's where he loses us. Prayer as a way to meditate and let go? Sure. Prayer as a way to make you less anxious? Definitely. Prayer as a way of aligning our hearts with God's? Absolutely. Prayer as a channel by which we are changed from the inside out? Of course. Prayer that actually works. Prayer that actually makes a difference. Prayer that joins God in pushing back the darkness. The kind of prayer that brings heaven to earth. This is where he loses us. And Jesus worked really hard to make sure he didn't lose us there. I mean, here's just a few quotes directly off of his lips on prayer. This is not an exhaustive list. This is just exemplary. Luke chapter 11, verse 9. Jesus said, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. John fourteen thirteen. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John fifteen seven. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Matthew 21, 22. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 11, if you then, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You see, if we really believe what Jesus taught on prayer, let's just be honest, Crossing. If we really believed our Bibles, we would have the same problem as the Korean church. But we don't. Why? Because we don't really buy it. 
Rather than looking at prayer as the greatest invitation that God offers us on this side of grace, as an invitation where we actually get to partner with him in his kingdom work, we believe the lie fed to us by the enemy that our prayers have no real power and make no real difference in the world whatsoever. And because I know this is a temptation for all of us, here's what I want to do. In the time we have left, I just want to read one story of many stories I could read of what happens when ordinary people give themselves to prayer. I want to just highlight one story from the scripture where we see the power that, that prayer plays in the role of the church in God's kingdom work. And so if you will, flip with me over to Acts chapter 12. Go with me to Acts chapter 12. I know I'm having you look at a lot of different Bible verses today. Might feel a little bit like a Bible drill this morning for some of you. We're looking at it so much. True story, though I grew up in the church, I was never a part of one Bible drill, not once in my life. And so... Um, I really don't even know what it feels like to be a part of a Bible drill, but I would assume something like this. Acts chapter 12, just as the context for you, Herod is threatened by the Christian movement um, because the church continues to grow and expand and gain influence in the Roman Empire. Um, He actually arrests Peter, uh, who is one of the greatest church leaders uh, ever, and he is now threatening to do with Peter what he just did with James, the, the, the brother of John. He just killed James, which is another church leader. Now he's going to try to do the same thing to Peter. And so, as you can imagine, this is a very bad situation. Um, if you're a part of the early church, there is nothing you can do about this. I mean, this situation is completely outside of your control. You have no power within yourself to change what is about to happen. And I think that's important because for some of you this morning, this is where you find yourself. For some of you, maybe you have someone in your life whom you love who is sick or dying, and there's nothing you can really do about it. Maybe you have a spouse who has told you they don't love you anymore. Maybe there's someone that you care about that is enslaved by addiction. Maybe you have kids that are straying away from Jesus. Whatever it may be, all of us at some point in our lives will find ourselves in a situation that is beyond our control, where something is happening that we want to change, but we have no power within ourselves to change it. And when this happens, I think the temptation is one of two things. It's either one, to resign, to say there's nothing I can do about it, just kind of throw my hands up in the air, or two, is to rely on human strength, to say I can fix this, I can manipulate the situation, I'm strong enough, I've got enough grit, I'm going to make this happen in my power, which usually leaves us more frustrated and anxious and disappointed. And if that is where you are this morning, listen, the invitation from Jesus is not to throw your hands in the air, it's not to white-knuckle it, but the invitation from Jesus and all the scriptures is to commit to what the Bible refers to as intercessory prayer. And simply put, for those of you taking notes, intercessory prayer, prayer is when you just pray for others. That's what we're about to see happen right here in Acts chapter 12. It is when the people of God resist the urge to fall into the endless cycle of self where I only pray about me, 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 and we actually begin to pray in love for others, these kingdom-minded prayers that are for their good and for God's glory. Richard Foster says it like this, talking about intercessory prayer. If we truly love people, we will desire far more for them than is within our power to give them. Think about that line. If we truly love people, we would desire far more for them than is in within our power to give them, and this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. Intercessory prayer is a selfless prayer, even self-giving prayer. In the ongoing work of the kingdom of God, nothing is more important than intercessory prayer. And that's what we're about to see right here. Look with me in verse 5, Acts 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was what? 
earnestly praying to God for him. That word earnestly is the Greek word ektenois. Uh, it can be translated as earnestly, as we see right here. It can also be translated as fervently, intensely, strenuously. It comes from the, the verb that means to be stretched out. And I just point that out to say this. When this church has a prayer meeting, it's not passive. It's not flippant. It's not like some of our missional community meals where we eat, we have the discussion. It's like, okay, to end this thing, someone should probably pray us out. So these little popcorn prayers, like they're kind of flippantly throwing up, they are literally stretching themselves out to God on behalf of Peter. Verse 6, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, talking about Peter, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. I don't know if that's because he was a non-anxious presence or because he was so overwhelmed. He just passed out. Usually most people don't sleep really well the night before they're going to be executed, but Peter's conked out. He's bound with two chains, and the sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. I just find that funny that the angel didn't just like gently, like, Peter, Peter, he like jabs him in the ribs. He's like, get up. We got places to go, people to see. So quick, get up. The chains and fell off of Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals. It's good to not walk out of here naked, right? Like, get clothed. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. So Peter followed him out of the prison, but had no idea what the angel was doing or what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. So have you ever been like half awake, half asleep, and you're like, I don't know if this is real or not. Uh, That's what's going on with Peter. He's like, I'm not sure if this is a dream. I don't know if this is happening, but I'm just going to go with it. So he's just kind of half asleep. He thinks he's just walking, following this angel, trying to see where it's going to lead him. Verse 10, they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. That's pretty miraculous. And then they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. The angel's like, my job's done. Peace out. Going on to the next thing. Peter then comes to himself and says, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen, which is for him to be murdered. Verse 12, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered. And what were they doing? Praying. Peter knocked on the outer entrance. A servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. So she's just so excited, she just leaves him there, right? Peter's like, okay, I guess, all right. Um, so she, she leaves, she doesn't open the door. She goes into the prayer meeting, verse 15, and she tells him, right, Peter is at the door, and they respond, verse 15, you're out of your mind. When she kept insisting, they said, it must be his angel. So just imagine how humorous this is. I love that Luke records this. They're in there, oh, sovereign God of the universe. We know you can do anything. Free Peter. Rhoda, Peter's been freed. Shut up. You're playing with our emotions. That can't be possible. God, we know you can do anything. All things are possible to you. Free Peter. Peter's actually at the door. God answered your prayers. It must be his ghost. We know he must already be dead. Like, like, that's what's happened. Think about this. This is a whole sermon in itself. It was easier for Peter to get out of prison than to get into church, right? There's something we could talk about for hours, but we don't have time. It must be his ghost, verse 16, but Peter keeps on knocking. Like, God, you idiots. Like, please, he's knocking. Finally, they opened the door, and when they saw him, they were astonished. Now, there's so much we could pull out from this story, but here's just what I want you to see. 
Notice how for these ordinary people in the church, it was easier for them to believe Peter had died and gone to heaven than it was for them to believe their prayers would actually be answered. So these aren't some like big, like people with robust faith. They're praying, but they don't really believe anything is going to happen as a result of their prayers. And yet, despite the fact their faith is small and inconsistent, God hears their prayers and he responds in a miraculous way. And if you're like, well, good for them. But why should I ever believe that God would do the same for me? Thank you so much for asking. Let me have you turn to one more place. Go to John chapter 16. Last place we will look. John chapter 16. How can we have confidence today that God hears our prayers and does respond in miraculous ways for the sake of his kingdom? Well, let's let Jesus tell us how we can have this confidence. John 16, verse 7, the context is Jesus is within 24 hours of being arrested and crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. He knows this is about to happen, and so he has a little talk with his disciples, and he says this, verse 7, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Now, on the surface, does this not sound like the classic breakup speech? It's like, it's not you, it's me. Okay, it's like I'm leaving, but hey, it's gonna be for your good. Like, trust me, you're gonna be happier without me. It seems like the classic breakup speech, but keep reading. Very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away, because unless I go away, the advocate, talking about the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I will leave, if I will go, I will send him to you. Now skip down to verse 23. In that day, in what day? In the day the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. In that day, you will no longer ask me for anything. What is Jesus talking about here? He's like, well, at this point right now, if you need something from me, you have to come directly to me. And that's a problem, by the way, because there was just one Jesus in one place at one time, and there are millions of people. And he's like, but there's coming a day, you're not going to have to come directly to me in order to ask me something or get something done. Why? Verse 23, because very truly I tell you, when the Holy Spirit comes and you receive the Spirit, he says, you can go straight to the Father. And my Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about prayer. He's restoring the direct line of communication between us and God that was severed at the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Verse 24, until now, you have not asked me for anything in my name. Now that's a bizarre line. Because the disciples have asked him for things, but he says, you've not asked for anything in my name. What is that talking about? Well, well, for us as experienced Christians who pray, we think in the name of Jesus is like a really catchy little tagline or convenient tagline we throw on the end of our prayers. And we don't even really know why we say it. Blah, 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 blah. Jesus, now pray. Amen. But for Jesus and the writers of the New Testament, this isn't just a little tagline that lets you know I'm closing my prayer. To pray in Jesus's name is to realize you are praying in his authority. You are praying in his power. This is what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, whenever you pray in my name and you receive the spirit, you'll be able to pray in my name, pray in my authority. And that means you'll be praying in the same power to the father that I am praying in. So notice how according to Jesus, if you are a disciple, think about this guys, this is mind blowing. If you have received the Holy Spirit, no matter who you are or what you have done, you now through the spirit have the same access to the father that Jesus himself has. 
And you get to pray with the same power that Jesus himself prayed with. That, that's a lot better news than you think it is. By the looks of faces, at least. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 3.12. In Christ, through faith in him, we may now approach God with freedom and confidence. I want to be very clear this morning. You are not Jesus. But every time you pray, if you are a follower of Jesus, you come before the Father robed and crowned in his authority and in his power. In the eyes of the Father, and Chris alluded to this a while ago, you now, through the Spirit, are standing before the Father in Jesus' status. And therefore, when you pray, you can pray with confidence that God hears you and responds to you in the same way that he would respond to Jesus himself whenever he prayed. And if that is true, and it absolutely is, the worst kept secret in the church today is that most of us don't even really like to pray. I mean, we do it because we're told we should do it. We're told it's good for us. But prayer, in many ways, has become the spiritual equivalent to flossing. I mean, it's like my dentist says I should floss, so I probably should do it. I know that if I start this, it's going to be a little bit slow and it's going to be a little bit painful, but let's do it. And if that's where you are this morning, my hope is that you'll begin to take the Bible seriously. That you'll begin to believe that if you have the Spirit of Jesus in you, that you can pray with confidence knowing that your prayers truly do have the power to change the world to help this place go from increasingly looking like hell to looking more and more like heaven. And here's the best part of this whole thing, by the way. God doesn't even need your prayers. He doesn't. Like, God does not need us to manage his creation through prayer. God is not overwhelmed by the responsibility of overseeing his creation. The Bible is clear that he is all-knowing, he is powerful, he is completely in control, he is outside of time, and he is working everything together according to the purpose of his will. And yet, the way he set this up from the beginning, in love, he created us, and then he invited us to partner with him in taking his creation towards a desirable destination. And for some reason, guys, I don't fully understand it, but in his grand design, prayer is the primary way that he partners with us in doing this. There's this place in Chile that is the driest place on the earth. I think we have a picture of it. It's a desert that is so dry that when scientists want to know what Mars is like, they'll take their equipment and they'll study this place. And uh, you can't see it in the picture, but below this desert, below the, the surface there, is 200 different varieties of flowers, 200 different uh, seeds. Um, that have yet to germinate, that have yet to be released. And, so, and the reason they're all kind of just laying dormant underneath the ground is because, though this place will get some rain every now and then, it's basically just a few drops here and there. It's enough to maybe kind of dampen the soil, but it doesn't get down into the seeds. That was until two years ago. And two years ago, the world got a chance to see something pretty incredible because what happened in this desert is they got seven years' worth of rain within 12 hours. And as a result, it created what scientists refer to as a super bloom. Let's go to the next photo. This is the exact same desert. It's beautiful. It's flourishing. It receives so much rain in such a short amount of time, the desert began to bloom. Life began to burst forth. And the reason I share that is to say this. I believe culturally right now, or spiritually, we're in a cultural moment that feels so dry. Like spiritually speaking, I think it feels somewhat like a desert 
in America. But I think underneath the dry, kind of hard, cracked ground are these seeds of potential, of a move of a Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. We just don't have enough prayer to bring the rain right now. There's little bitty drops of prayer here and there throughout our day. Safe little, again, vague prayers, passive prayers, but it's not enough to bring about a super bloom. And because I'm convinced of this, here's what I want us to do. Because as a way of kind of moving our church from these little drops of prayers here and there to this concentrated outpouring of prayers, on September 12th, I want to invite you to participate in a 24-hour-plus prayer initiative. And what I mean by this is we're going to basically try to give 24 hours to where you can sign up and pick these one-hour little blocks where you'll come up to our building in a little prayer room that we're setting aside, and you'll pray. You'll pray for our church. You'll pray for our city. You'll pray for the world around us. And I'm calling it a 24-hour-plus prayer challenge because, honestly, if you looked at all the people in here, if we took prayer seriously and we all would sign up for one-hour spot, I mean, you could go for 10-plus days. So we're calling it a 24-hour just prayer challenge, plus tra- uh, prayer challenge, because we hope that maybe it even goes beyond 24 hours. But I want you to just kind of picture this in your mind, what I think it's going to look like, okay? So just imagine this for a moment. It's September 12th. Maybe it's, it's a Monday night, it's 8 p.m., and you're already regretting signing up for this prayer slide. But in a moment of just inspiration, maybe right after this message, you were like, man, I, I guess I'll sign up for this thing. And so here it is, it's 8 o'clock, there's nothing you would like more than just to go binge Netflix. It's been a hard day, it's not been an easy day for you, but man, you want to keep your commitment. So you walk actually into this room, which is going to be converted into a prayer room. And when you walk in, there's some instrumental music playing, there's candles that are lit, they're electronic for safety reasons, but they're convincing enough. <laughs> the walls are covered with paper, and they're raw, honest prayers that have already been scribbled on there throughout the day. Bible verses, maybe pictures that people have drawn. There's a rug that's going to be in there for you to kneel on. There's going to be communion cups where you can come in and immediately take communion and be reminded that you're forgiven, that you're coming before your Father who loves you so much and is so excited to spend time with you. And then there's going to be a piece of paper with a prayer wheel on it that's going to just walk you through very easily. It can be done for anybody. It's going to walk you through how to pray for an hour. And so you're going to begin to pray And then your chime's going to go off on your phone, and you're going to go, wow, like that was a whole hour? I can't remember the last time I prayed for a whole hour. In fact, now that I think about it, I don't know if I've ever in my life one time prayed for a whole hour. That's what we want to see happen at least 24 different times with 24 different people. I hope it's more than that. But we want to encourage you to begin to participate in this. We're going to send out a link this week, uh, today, actually, through GroupMe, through a text message, social media. Even if you're not a member of our church, you're, willing to, you're, you're welcome to sign up for this. But I really want to challenge you to make space for this, to sign up for the one-hour slot, at least a one-hour slot. And at the end of the day, listen, guys, the reason I want to do this, like, please hear me, we're almost done. This is not about the Crossing Church. This is certainly not about me. This is not about some sort of program. But unless you have had your head in the sand, like you can look around and see there's still a lot of places in our city that do not look like the kingdom of God. Uh, There are scores of people stuck in addiction right now. 
people who are enslaved by their desires. There are wayward children. There are marriages under attack. There are people walking around in this toxic shame and guilt and fear. They don't really believe they're forgiven by God. There are religious people, maybe even in this room, who come here week after week after week, and they check the box, but they have never in their lives experienced the empowering presence of God. There are men and women right now who are anxious and depressed. They don't even know how they're going to get out of bed and go to work tomorrow. There are people who look good on the outside, but they are hopelessly lost on the inside. And as a church, think about this, guys. We have an incredible invitation from Jesus or himself to go to our Father, to tap into the endless resources of heaven through prayer, and to go from actually being spectators on the sideline to getting in the game and participating in his mission through prayer prayer and if you were like is this guy real like is this some sort of like just motivational inspirational talk then don't just listen to this talk show up at the prayer room and see what happens sign up for at least one hour of this 24 hour plus prayer initiative and if you're feeling adventurous by the way sign up for one of the the one to three m slots because from what i hear from others that's where god really ends up doing a lot of his work And by the way, the most work God's going to do won't happen in that prayer room. The real work will happen once we walk out of the prayer room and God begins to initiate those prayers. I want to close with this. Uh, I get asked sometimes, uh, Jared, how did you become a pastor? I was asked that several times at my 20th year class reunion recently because they knew me before I'd met Jesus. How did you become a pastor? What happened to you is basically what they're asking And the short answer is this, is prayer happened to me. Uh, I was wayward. Y'all knew I grew up in church. Um, And as compelling as the boring church services were and the mediocre heavenly highway hymns, I just wasn't compelled to follow Jesus. Uh, I I always believed he could save me. I just didn't believe he could satisfy me. You know the difference, right? Like I didn't want to go to hell, but I definitely did not want to like be with God here and now because there was nothing he could really do for me. And so I began to chase after all these other things for happiness and fulfillment. My parents saw this happening. They began to get reports. They would find things in my room, and they would just know, like, he's not in a good spot right now. And so what they just committed to doing is every single night, they got down on their knees by their bed before they went to sleep, and they prayed for me. I didn't even know they were doing that. I continued to just chase after whatever it was that Jerry Pickney was interested in. And so I moved to Conway, Arkansas, blew up my life there, went on academic probation. Things looked like they were just horrific. It was as worse as it had been. And my parents didn't stop praying. They just stayed on their knees and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And eventually one night in my bedroom, I was minding my own business. I didn't have any sort of plan of having any kind of revival or experience with God. And yet God, I'm telling you, just ambushed me. Like he invaded me with his presence like I had never experienced in my life. And my eyes were open to see God as he really is. It's not just someone who can save me, but can satisfy me and fulfill me. And in that moment, I just... I don't know any other way of saying it other than just I just fell in love with God. And I wanted other people to meet this Jesus who had changed my life. So I said, I'm going to start a college ministry. And I didn't know anything about college ministry. I didn't have a vision. I didn't have strategy. I didn't have money. Nobody had ever told me I could even lead in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I'd been a complete goofball at this point. Well, I basically, I was terrible in school. I had, there was nothing in me that knew anything about any of this kind of stuff whatsoever. I had nothing going for me. You have to understand this. I had nothing going for me, but the one thing I did have is I knew how to pray because that's all I could do. And I remember getting in this little bitty Grecian Plaza building where I would meet with these college students, and before they would come into the room, I would play this song by Sanctus Real called Inspiration. And there's a song in there that said, you can change the world by changing just one life, and I love that line. And I'd put it on repeat, and honestly, I would just get on my face before God, and I would beg for him to move in a powerful way through these college students' lives. 
And eventually four people turned into 14 people, which turned into 40 people and 50 college students and 60 college students. And we saw people come to Christ and surrender to missions and ministry. I mean, lives were changed forever as a result of this ministry. And I actually went on a date with my wife a little lunch date this past week. And I thought, uh, I said, let's just go back and let's visit this building where it all started at. And I took a picture of it. I think, do we have the picture that I can put on the screen? There it is. Now, this is where it all started, by the way. I don't know if you can read that sign, but to most people who come by here, that is just uh, Chuck and Cloud's vape shop. (laughs) But to me, listen, that is holy ground because that is where I learned that God answers prayers. And the only reason I share that is not to try to make myself seem like a hero because those of you who know me, I know I am not at all. But here's the reason I share that and we're done. For some this is just going to feel like when you walk into it, an oversized closet. But my hope is that because of what happens to this 24-hour-plus prayer initiative, we will look back on this and we will realize this is the place that God used to wake up your soul. And it is the place where you'll be able to look back at years to come and say, man, that is the place where I discovered, not from a sermon, but by experience, that God really is who he says he is and he will do everything that he says he's going to do. So what if we as a church took prayer seriously? Just what would happen? What would happen to our church? What would happen to our city? What would happen to our world? Don't you want to find out? I'm going to invite those who are preparing communion to go ahead and come forward, and our band, if they will, to come forward. And here's what I want you to think about as we partake of communion today. The greatest thing about prayer is that we get access to the presence of God. St. Augustine, the one who came to Christ thanks to his mom's prayer, said this, prayer increases our capacity for the greatest gift of all, which is God himself. The greatest gift God could ever give us is not something outside of himself, but giving us himself. And the reason that we get access to the presence of God is because of what Christ accomplished for us through his life, his death, and resurrection. And communion is a way that we remember that truth. So if you're here, you're not a member of the church, but you are a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to this table. We have also disposable cups in the back. The way this works is we have the uh, bread here that we will tear off for you, which represents the perfect life of Christ lived on your behalf. It'll be dipped in the juice, which represents his blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And you can take that whenever you are ready. Um, If you have not trusted in Jesus, don't take this. Rather than receiving this, receive Christ. And if you want more information about how to do that, how to receive Jesus, to receive his Holy Spirit today, I would encourage you to come talk with me, talk with someone you came with. We'd love to help you with next steps. Let's stand together. We'll pray. Singing one final song and you're ready, you can take communion. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have made yourself available to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, through his life, his death, his resurrection. We pray that right now as we partake of communion, that all of this would move once again from being theory to being a true experience as we embody the gospel through communion. And I pray that you would just give us a fresh reminder that you are for us, that you love us, that in Christ we are fully forgiven, we are fully redeemed, and we now get to participate in your mission. For those who possibly are watching online or listening online or here that do not know you in a real powerful and personal way, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would ambush them with your love and your grace, just as you have done for me and so many others in this room. And it's in Christ's name that I ask these things. Amen.